always write something that you think will change your life. Because chances are, if it will change your life, it will change other people's lives. And if it doesn't, at least you fucking changed your life or did something that meant something to you. Welcome back to Creative Spaces. My name is Kevin Knight. I run the website eatgeekplay.com. And I'm really excited about this week's guest, Frank J. Barberi. Frank really made an impact a couple years ago with his series, Five Ghosts. It's a fantastic read, and he just came out with a brand new book for Boom Studios called Broken World, which I really enjoyed. So please go pick it up, support Frank. Um, This interview, there's a lot of great insight into how the creative process goes through and just, just really focusing on your craft and a lot of stuff about writer's block in this that I never really thought about and we even talk about the Pomodoro technique, which I have not been able to put into my workflow yet, but it's a really interesting concept. And I was wondering, do you, the listener, have any kind of techniques that you use to stay productive and stay focused? You can let me know at Twitter. It's just at Eat Geek Play. And uh, here's this week's interview. I am Frank J. Barberi. I am a comic book writer. Uh, currently, I write the book Five Ghosts. I have a book called Broken World debuting in June. And actually, my last issue of Avengers World from Marvel comes out this week. But uh, I had a fairly long run on that book, and I really enjoyed it. And yes, I'm here to talk about what I do, which is write comic books. What's your daily schedule life kind of like? I've been uh, really fortunate that I went full-time freelance, I guess, almost two years ago. So I've adjusted pretty well, like, uh, and kind of just have my routine. I always, uh, I try to just concertedly work on one thing a day. I do a lot of work. And for me, I mean, thankfully, I do a lot of pre-writing in the form more of just like thinking about stuff. Like, I'm not a huge note taker. I never was. And it's just not how my brain works. I like just think things out and, and actually talk stuff out if I can. And I have a few very close friends, one of whom is my twin brother, who I will talk stuff through. Or if I'm close with the artist I'm collaborating with, which is most of the time, it's nice to actually get them on the phone and talk them through. But I, I try to stick to one thing a day uh, just because I, I feel like if I get into one headspace, I don't want to pop into something else if I've been like so intensely thinking about something. And uh I don't know. I, I feel like I'm most productive between, weirdly, like the hours 11 and 4. Like, I'm not a night owl. Like, I stay up late, but I feel like I don't like working late. I know a lot of my peers and friends like to just work at night, and they say no one bothers them. But uh, thankfully, I don't have kids, and that gives me a lot of free time. <laughs> just, just today, I was talking to one of my friends, and I got up kind of late today. I got up around 10, and... uh. I had called him. He's like, you just got up. Oh, I forget. You don't have kids. <laughs> he's like, I've been up since five, bro. He's like, that's how that goes. I'm like, I'm sorry. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I keep it pretty loose. I, I travel a lot and uh, I do a lot of shows. And uh, I, I try to, I don't know, go where I can to be inspired. But I end up mainly working at home. I, I tried having an office space for a little bit, but I found I would just stay home anyway. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not someone who gets overly like tired of being in my apartment or, or just a space I'm familiar with. No, with, with the office space, were you sharing it with other people? Yeah, it was like, uh, and it wasn't comic writers. It was just a bunch of random like artists and stuff who were all really cool people. And it was fun to just be back with other creative people because, uh, again, the one thing is it's very lonely. 
like to just sit around, which I'm sure every writer says, like winter this year was hell because it was so like dark and drab. I'm in New York and, and we had a long, long, very snowy, very crappy winter. And it really was like depressing. <laughs> uh, a lot of my friends actually, I freelance and uh, Lauren Affey, who is a colorist and uh, colors five ghosts is in the city too. And, and I talked to her a lot and she was just like, yeah, like she's even more tied to her desk than I am. Cause coloring tends to be very down to the wire, a lot of crunching deadlines and, this winter was just so rough on, on us. We were saying it's very, very cold. It sucks to not even be able to like go take a walk or anything like that. But, you know, you get through it. At the end of the day, I also, I always try to remember, like, I'm writing comic books and I want to be doing this, so I never complain about it. Like, sure, you get stuck and sure, things can get frustrating, but at the end of the day, I, I know what it's like to have a day job I hate, so I can't complain. <laughs> Which is the positive outlook I, I try to keep on things. Now, you said you don't take notes. How do you keep track of what, like, like your idea? Are you just like kind of? You said you talk about it a lot, but even in that, is there things that you don't forget, or how do you how are you keeping track of where you're going with your story? There's a few, like I'll do outlines, so to speak, like, but uh, I tend to write, like, especially for the work for hire stuff, it tends to be very organized because I have to pitch the ideas and. Really, it's when you're writing the pitch, that's when it locks down. Like, it, my pitches are, like, pretty much like a short story walking through what actually happens in the issue. And for me, that's normally the hardest part because that's me, like, breaking the issue. And after I know that, that's just there, and, and I can experiment once I start writing and once I start getting stuff onto the page. And it that's almost the fun part. The hard part is the, uh, is the pitch part. And I feel like the stuff I do, anything I do with editorial – which will be also the stuff at Boom, which is creator-owned, but I do have editors, and I need to kind of justify it to my editors <laughs> beforehand. So uh, I get through that start. And, and that's the tricky part and the part that where you really sit down and bang your head against the wall and like, oh, shit, like what's going to happen? How, how does this matter, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, for the most part, when, I, when I'm actually just scripting, I'm just like, again, I know what I want to do by that point, and I just go for it. And it, I... I don't know. I, I I study a lot of story theory and like writing theory. I used to be a writing teacher as well, and I have a lot of really firm beliefs about not overstructuring things. Because I mean, I feel like a lot of people who come from like screenwriting school like want this insane, insane structure on their work, which can be a little limiting. And especially with my newer stuff, I'm really trying to be just a little more true, just to character, a little more true to just not like totally artsy fartsy things but just let it be a little looser and in the marvel stuff the avengers world stuff i think is very very indicative of that where i know i had the restraint i knew like with some of those stories i wanted to keep them one issue so there was that form uh burning down but uh then i knew what i wanted to say and i knew what happened to the issue but then you just get to actually do it on the page well i i, I don't know I, I feel like i i like that improvisation on on the page and with that stuff i feel like because i have editorial like it goes to the editor and if something is just so not hitting or so weird at that stage they will let me know and and you have almost that safety net as well when people say they love working with no editors i also work with no editors because five ghosts is completely us no one reads it but me and that's horrifying because if it gets too off the rails i won't know till we send it out and people start talking about it but uh with the uh, the stuff that I do with editorial, it will go through to other people, and they'll call me or talk to me through email and give me feedback, which is really which I like a lot because 
again, we're creating stuff that is going to be out in the world and read by a lot of people. Like the best thing you can do is have as many people read it as possible when you're still working on it. Does that scare you with five ghosts where you're like, you're going to throw something out? Cause the book is a little, little out there sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you, do you feel like you're like, you're, you might be taking it too far and I mean, how do you, how do you bring yourself in when it's just you? I do have people who read it, and I mean, Chris Chris clearly keeps an eye. Like, I, I, everything I do, I justify to Chris first. So, I mean, he will... We've thankfully never had a, a point where it got too weird for either of us, though, I have to say. So, uh, it's interesting. I mean, that book is definitely the most experimental, in, even though it's, it's, again, a fairly straightforward, like, pulpy action book. That is really, we can do whatever we want, and we sit out, we do it. And I write full script all the time, but I write loose full script is how I describe it. Like I'll, I'll write like panel counts and shot descriptions, but I won't say like there is a brick wall and exactly 40 bricks on the wall. I'll, I'll say like, Oh, establishing shot. We see a castle like, and I'll let Chris pick the shot for the most part, unless there's something super specific or some kind of like crazy layout I'm convinced will be, uh, what we need to do. So that, that is just definitely a lot more of a jam. I mean, I'll write dialogue in the script too. So it, it, he has cues for the acting, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, I mean, with those, with the last arc of five goes, I knew what we were doing because I had thought about it for so long. And I don't know, it, it just, <laughs> it just kind of happens in a lot of ways. It's sounds so silly, but, uh, I get myself psyched up. I get myself ready to write. I think a lot about what I'm going to write. And, and every now and then I will jot like some stuff down. I, I mean, I know a popular way a lot of writers approach comics is they'll like write a piece of paper and write one through 22 and write like a sentence about each, uh, each page. But for me, like I, I, I get that and it's definitely useful, but I, feel like I don't like to restrain my scenes. I mean, what I've been trying to do recently is actually something I heard Brian Vaughn say, where with Saga, he just writes. Like, he will just go for it. And uh, then if he goes over 22 pages or whatever, he'll edit down. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, which is very interesting. So he says his first drafts are normally like 40 pages. I mean, I, I think I've trained myself and, and kept stuff so sparse. Coming up in issue 17, which is the last one of this arc, where I wish we had had a little more space. But uh, as a writer, in I, I find form inspiring, which is why I like comics. You know exactly how much space you have to deal with. So for me, I kind of internalize that, and I tend to not go over my uh, space limits at all and or ever really have an issue where it's like, Oh, if I only had another page, et cetera. I, I think that's the fun of the format, like working out what you can and can't do. Now you said that, uh, you went freelance full time, uh, two years ago. What were you doing up to that point? Well, so, uh, my like quote, like real job, that I like went to school for and everything. Uh, I, I went to grad school and have my master's in English. Ed. I was an English teacher for, three years, two of year, which I focused just on writing, which was really useful. And uh, again, taught me a lot and really got me inspired. Unfortunately, that was out of middle school. So I was teaching this, I, I had my own class where I could teach whatever I wanted. So uh, I taught this really high level, crazy story stuff that was totally lost on the kids, but really useful for me. <laughs> and uh, then I moved to New York. Uh, after I stopped doing that, and I actually worked at Comixology, the uh, 
the digital comics publisher for about a year and a half, which I really loved. And it, I worked as like a like content manager. I would get stuff off FTPs, talk to publishers, and just kind of work behind the scenes, like putting together digital comics, which was really cool because I was with a lot of people who, uh, again, were young people who liked comics and like geek culture stuff, and and a lot of whom are still my dear dear friends in New York and. Just a good vibe and a cool way to be around comics all day, even when I wasn't working on them. Which, sometimes coming home from that job to want to read comics was really hard. <laughs> or to write, because I would look at a lot of comics at work, like, just because I had to check, like, for errors in the pages. I had to look at, like, deconstruct PDFs to put together, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, it was around that time that... Uh, I worked there for about a year while Five Ghosts was still coming out, actually. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, so Five Ghosts came out in March 2013, and I left Comixology in November 2013. So it, it, And I definitely left way too early. Like, I was not making enough money to go full-time freelance. I just kind of had to because I had such a crazy schedule coming up. But you make it work, and, and thankfully I've managed to keep prolific enough where I can have a life and not be totally... Totally poor. <laughs> now, with the freelance lifestyle, you can't just be like in the moment. You always kind of have to look ahead as well, you know, as far yeah, as where that, you're. That is the most horrifying part of it. <laughs> How do you deal with that? In a kind of really not great way, that is, I'm kind of optimistic. And, and the way I describe it, which is funny, like where I'm at in my career, is I say I've navigated into a space where I know I can get work and I know, like, People are where I'm working, but you still have to find it. So it's almost like if you were to visualize like you're in like a sonar and every now and then someone will ping and you have to go to where the pinging is. But the hardest part as a creative person is to get to that initial area, to get into that field of success where you still have to search. And I feel like that's always the barrier for entry. But uh, again, I, I know that never goes away. Like that's just part of life and what I always say is you have to navigate yourself into a space where that works for you. Like I said, I mean, I don't have children. I only have to support myself. I know exactly what the bottom lines on like my rent are, like in what I can afford to actually do. And, and honestly, like I spend 90% of my time at home working because that's what I want to do. And, and I think a lot of people who are interested in this life, style like don't get that you have to be really committed to your work and get joy from doing your work because you don't have much room for else like anything else at that point but uh like i said i like doing it i want to be writing comics that's pretty much all i want to be doing so i can't complain i mean when there's not work it's boring which is sad like i wish i was more i don't know like <laughs> Like, I, I like, like, video games and stuff like that, but I just, like, cannot sit there and play a game for, like, hours on end. I need my, like, in, like, movies and everything. Like, people are like, why don't you just watch a ton of TV? I'm like, it, it like, I don't know. I get a headache if I watch TV for two hours. I'm just turning into an old man. I mean, I, I read a lot, which is my, like, downtime and decompression. And thankfully, like, some people, like, try to say, like, oh, well, after, like, spending so much time writing, I can't read for pleasure anymore. And, and thankfully, that's not me. Like, I can still, like, turn off writer brain and not have to be analyzing everything I'm reading. Is there a time of the day that you feel most creative? It's weirdly that 11 to 4 window. Like, for some reason, that's just my time. And I actually noticed that when I was working at Comixology. I would get, like, crazy inspired. I, and it was pretty low-key. Like, I would roll in around 10, but... 
it was really always those hours, like starting around like 1130, I would just really start having ideas and want to be working and want to be doing something creative. And, and that stuck pretty closely with me. And I normally, I, I spend most of my morning just like, again, like I wake up, make coffee, just chill out. Sometimes I'll read something or like watch an episode of something just to like kind of get me working. But really it's by like 11, 1130 that I want to be like in my writing zone, so to speak. And I, I just get like endless email as well. Like I cannot turn off my email. I know a few people like to say like they uh, turn off their internet. I don't find that I get distracted by that. Like I know when I need to work and I can take breaks while working. So I, I am not into that. Not turning off my internet. It's, it's very much not my style. Do you have any kind of uh, productivity apps that you do or anything to keep on track of your emails and to-do lists and all that stuff? Uh, the only thing I really use is, uh, I found I really do like the, like, like Pomodoro method kind of like stuff where you, uh, work on a timer. Okay. We've never talked about, I, I, I've tried the technique before, but nobody else has brought it up. You're the first person on this this (laughs) podcast to bring it up. Can you describe it for everybody? All right. Well, basically I work with a timer program that is, I don't know the exact timing on Pomodoro method, but I, it might be this where it's. I work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break, work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break, work for 25 minutes and take like a 10 minute break. And for me, when I'm in that 25 minute work crunch, that sometimes is when I will like not look at my phone, like no matter what's happening, unless I'm getting some kind of like phone call over and over and just intensely, intensely focus on my work. I mean, it really works when I'm feeling kind of like unsettled, like when I, when I'm having a hard time getting like in the zone, but I often find that by like the second session, I'll be so into what I'm doing. I just won't pay attention to the timer anymore and we'll just work without it. But I, but I was, there was a point where I was starting to feel really unfocused and like really just, I don't know, like I, I was doing a lot of reading about productivity, a lot of reading about focus and <laughs> it made me laugh because most of it was like, there's no secret, just stop being an idiot. <laughs> and I felt really, really self-critical about that. And I was like, oh man, like I'm spending time now looking for an answer instead of just doing my work. And and for me, that's the key. Like I just have to sit down and start working. Like, and I, I was just talking with my buddy about this, not to jock Brian Vaughn so much, but uh, we were talking about how he was on, on a panel and someone asked about writer's block and he got super real and was like, yeah, there's no such thing as writer's block, which, which I do agree about. He's like, guess what? Writing is really hard work. It's problem solving and it's difficult and it's frustrating, but when you're not doing it, you don't have writer's block. You're just not, again, doing your job. So you have to sit down, do your job, like go take a walk, eat a sandwich, do something else. But writing is really intense, hard work and it sucks. So you don't have writer's block. You're just right. Interesting. I've, (laughs) I've never thought about it like that. Well, I mean, it's so funny because like the more you do like, any type of writing, especially like genre fiction stuff, like in, in which is most of what I do in comics, it really is problem solving. And, and that's how I like, again, that's what I think about storytelling. I like storytelling theory because of that. You're really creating and solving problems and just hoping you're doing so in an entertaining way and showing people. But uh, yeah, it's really hard. It's tiring. It sucks. I mean, the one thing I do like about comics, especially versus prose, is that comics, at least, you don't necessarily worry as intently about uh physical description 
like where you have to sit there and actually like make sure you wrote a passage that sounds pleasing as well. Like you are writing instructions to someone to draw. So for me, that's really inspiring because it's much more about plotting and and then dialogue versus having to worry like, oh shit, is my sentence pretty? And I uh, I was trying to write some prose recently and I was like, oh my God, this is exhausting. Like <laughs> I can't, like I want to move much faster than this. And, and that's the joy I find in writing. Like I find a lot of joy in like the logic of it of finding things that work like and you know like character stuff and thinking a little deeper about that and it is exhausting it's really tiring and and everyone thinks they can do it if they can speak american english but they don't get that part of writing i find like that it's really just crazy logic puzzles all day where you're inventing the puzzle is there a part of writing that you find harder than the other uh, Are you more of a dial? Do you get stuck up in dialogue? I have been working my butt off to write better dialogue. Like I started getting really self-conscious about it because I mean, Five Ghosts was like the book that I came in with, and we can get away with having crappy dialogue in that book because it's a pulp homage, and people were saying it a lot in reviews and like just commentary on the book to a point where I'm like, no, I'm just writing bad dialogue a lot of times, like not relying on homage, and I. It was really when I was working on uh, on Solar, uh, my editor, Nate Cosby, uh, really got in there with me and really was like, taught me a lot about dialogue and and it helped immensely. Like it made me such a better writer. So that's something that now I will literally sit and read out loud and, and think much more about. And it exists in a, such a weird space in comics because I feel like there's so many great comics with really shitty dialogue. And because it's read on the page, people don't, think about it as much but the minute you start writing a lot of dialogue if it's bad or the phrasing's weird people are really going to start noticing it and and i've definitely been working towards that and seeing improvements thankfully on my own end and, and seeing people mention that like oh this dialogue is actually better and it's something i've really just been studying and, and focusing in on and i wouldn't say it's my least favorite part like i'm still inspired and want to be better but it's where i know i can definitely be better which, uh, again, now this is going to sound like just a series of humble bragging. But uh, what I say, though, is that I, I'm not the type of writer who thinks everything I do is perfect. I'm, like, proud of what I've done, but want to be better next year than I was this year. And uh, I don't know. It's where I, I feel like it's the only way you can get better at this stuff is by doing it over and over, which is why I'm so thankful I've been able to do a lot of work. And it's nice that I can go back even a year ago and read my stuff and see where I've gotten better. But dialogue was definitely the one thing. And, and I think doing a few really talky books with with a lot of like, well, mainly the Avengers world stuff because I was writing Sunspot, who was actually funny and such like a really different sort of character. I really enjoyed writing his dialogue and found like the dorky stuff where you can actually just like listen to the character. And, and it's weirdly easier with characters like that because you know their voice. When you have to make their voice and, and think about that like, it becomes rough because you don't want to base it on a popular character because everyone will be like, oh, you're just writing Wolverine or you're just writing, I don't know, uh, any other character. But uh, I feel like with Work for Hire, it can be a little easier when the characters have really strong voices. I feel like there's people don't want to realize what they're doing badly because you have to realize you're not perfect at it. And I feel like I had that moment where I was like, oh, well, well, forget that like I'm perfect but it was really Cosby who drilled it into me like and would read some things and he would say like I get what you're trying to say there but that's the most unappealing way in the world to say it. 
and it, it was a lot of work and a lot of frustration, but I feel like it, it really did help me. And it, there's a ridiculous assumption out there, and some of my writer friends say it, where just reading makes you a great writer. And reading does help you, and you have to read constantly as a writer, but if you just learn through osmosis, we would have a million <laughs> fantastic writers. All you'd have to do would do read 10 really difficult novels, and you'd be great at it. But uh, I feel like that's a misconception, and especially with dialogue. A lot of people try to model it after other writers, and, like, I mean, I know I'm not Bendis. Like, Bendis does Bendis, and Bendis does Bendis wonderfully. Like, I know I'm not Brian Vaughn. Like, Vaughn is, again, someone who's just, like, has such a great like rhythm and humor to his dialogue, but I feel like I'm slowly finding where I sit and it's it's really helping to just, again, be, be a little more honest with it and, and think about scenes where the dialogue drives it. Like, I don't know, as I said, I, I do a lot of reading on craft and a lot of work trying to be better. And uh, I feel like with Broken World, that is the talkiest book I have ever done. And I was so afraid about it because there's so much dialogue and, uh, I was actually joking with the artist because uh, Chris Peterson, who uh, co-created the book and is drawing it, uh, and the uh, colorist Marissa Louise, they like did all these really, really intense, awesome backgrounds in the first issue. They're in a like tinkerer's kind of lab, and uh, he has like a giant fish tank and all these tools, and so much of it got covered with dialogue. I'm like, I am so sorry, guys, <laughs> that uh, that that is the case. But uh, but it, it's definitely an interesting first issue, wherein like a lot of the world had to be set up quickly and we did it through a lot of dialogue and I'm happy that, yeah, it's, it's exposition, but I feel like it reads well and like, is people actually talking, not just saying like, it's crazy that this thing is happening because of these things. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm really proud of how it came out. I mean, we did send it out for a bunch of advanced reviews and, and no one, people were like, oh, there's a lot of exp exposition, but I liked it, which was nice to hear because I had a moment of abject terror where i was like oh shit did i just like write the most boring comic of all time <laughs> if there's one piece of your work that you could say this is this is what i'm most proud of what would it be it's funny because like it it's always changing like i i'm someone who's always like if you ask me on any given day like what like what are you most excited or proud of i'll say like oh the thing i'm working on now but i feel like uh one of the things that just came together in the most perfect serendipitous way was that uh, new avengers annual the strange issue and and people responded really well to that because it, it worked in on every conceivable level for some reason uh just marco did a fabulous job on art and the story clicked and and everything came together really well i, I was really really proud of that and uh, without being too self-congratulatory about it i was really happy that that was my first thing at marvel because you hear so many horror stories about people being like, oh, yeah, my first thing like sucked in the mainstream or anything like that. And, and I was really happy that that just came together so well in such a public way. Which, I mean, it was very like it's weird because Strange is never a character who I thought I would ever write or particularly like love. Like I liked him and I, I really liked like the seminal Strange stories and clearly like the oath. I really liked the Doctor Doom, Doctor Strange and just ran and i liked how hickman was was using him which is really what i looked towards for my issue was like okay where is he in the continuity what can we do and i feel like it, it was really that grew really out of just a my understanding of john's run some very stroke of the moment creativity because I, I had to pitch that in like two days after i was told and it was a bake-off meaning like i was not the person they came to for that they were just like oh hey like if you want to pitch on this 
whatever. So I had to pitch against other people and there was no like given that it was going to be mine. And, and there was no context for the story. There is like, we want an issue about one of the Illuminati. We were thinking maybe Dr. Stranger Black Bolt. And I was like, okay, time to come up with something to say. But uh, as I said, I was, I was really into John's run and I really liked where Strange was. And I thought, oh, well, well let's do a story about how he's kind of more powerful than ever, but kind of losing himself and what that, what that means, like see like that he's aware of this and he's willing to pay the price. And, and thankfully it came, to, it came together in a sensical way. And, and then we got Marco on art who just really like totally, totally killed it. And I was so, so happy. And my editor, Jake on that, Jake Thomas and Marvel is, is awesome and really just let us do what we want and gave great notes on it. So as I said, that was a project that just had no pushback. It was wonderful. Uh, and, and let me emphasize that everything I've worked on has kind of been like that. I don't have anything that I can point to and be like, that was a nightmare. Like maybe one day, but uh, right now I'm pretty been very, very fortunate with all the people and talent I've been able to collaborate with. How do you stay inspired? You seem to pretty much work all the time. I, as I said, I read a lot and, and I've just always been wired to be the type of person who it, not in the egotistical way, but when I see something awesome, like, or see something great, it really makes me just want to make my own thing. Like, not not even do my own version of something, but it, it, it inspires me. So, like, if I watch anything or, or read something that I really like, it gets me, like, pumped, so to speak. Like, and it really just gets me, like, ready. And, and I don't know, just as a, as a creative person, it's always been that it makes me want to make my own thing, not do that and, and I was a musician for a long time and that's the same way like I never really learned to play other people's songs because hearing a great song made me want to go write a song and there are times where I get frustrated or or uninspired like quote writer's block but I, I've really learned that it really is just being either afraid to fail or or having just cold feet and for me it's just like, okay, like everything I do today might suck, but just go do it. Like the worst thing you can do is just not work. And that, and it, it becomes a lot easier when you have to work and you have deadlines or you know you're not going to make money if you don't do it. So that works as well. But for me, it, it's really just been looking at everything that I'm doing and remembering like, okay, first of all, like I'm genuinely exciting to be doing this because, uh, I tried to break in for about like almost eight years, which which people don't realize a lot of times because again, no one ever realizes that because they know your work and, and I've really only been working for two years in in the mainstream, like with stuff out. And uh I wanted to do it for so long that when I get the now that I have the chance to, like there's so much I wanna say and so much I still wanna do that I haven't hit that wall of like, oh, it's just all work to me yet. So thankfully there's that still, which again I know won't last forever, but especially like doing Marvel and DC stuff is like a thrill. Like I love doing my own stuff and will always do my own stuff, but I never in a million years thought I'd be able to write anyone else's characters. So that is really inspiring. And, and the same with Solar. I really, really was happy with my run on Solar and really happy with the fact they let me do the story I did, which was, again, not necessarily, I think, what anyone was expecting, but uh, I was happy with it. And, and also just thinking about writing of like, okay, like anyone can write cool plots, like, but think about what you actually want to say with the work or what you really want it to be about is where I try to like, that, as I said, not 
without sounding too much like a douchey artiste, but uh, <laughs> I think that's more important in remembering like, oh, like this is so much more about my viewpoints, what I want to get across rather than just having like, I don't know, the Avengers punch somebody. And, and that's really what I try to look for and try to get inspired by. So did you grow up a comic book fan? Uh, yes, I've been reading since I was like six years old. So I, I had like weird gaps though. Like, uh, there was like, a the girlfriend gap. I, I wish no, the, uh, <laughs> the, all the comic or, book stores. Sorry. Closed. The, the trying to get laid gap. <laughs> well, mine was, uh, mine was music really like, which probably was a form of trying to get laid, but, <laughs> but, uh, I just got really, really into like, like punk and like being in bands and, and that was my creative outlet. And it was mainly though that all the shops by me closed and it was probably really when I was in middle school. And, and as soon as I got to high school, I met some friends who read comics and they all knew a, a shop that was like 40 minutes away that we would, uh, we would drive to every week on Wednesday. So that got me back in, in a big way. And that was when, uh, that was right when like the ultimate universe was launching powers was out like powers was on issue six. And I always say that it was powers that brought me back into comics, but also I was reading like the Grant Morrison X-Men when that came out. I remember that was right when I was actually going back to the shop. So that was actually a little bit before, cause that was about year 2000. It was all around there. And I, I feel like it opened up the idea to me though, that, uh, wow, these things are, like, really good now. They're not just, like, the goofy things like I read when I was little that were just, like, guys punching each other. Like, that there's some, like, really serious writers. And, and I quickly read, like, all the, like, really good stuff that was out. Like, I had never read, like, Ellis before. Or in, like, I went back and read a whole bunch of Morrison. And then, like, things like All-Star Superman were actually coming out, like, as I was reading. So... So I, I feel like I, they were always around. I was always into them. But when I really, really got into them, when I was around like 16, like since I was about 16, I've been at the comic shop every once. <laughs> so. so what was the your inspiration point for you to pursue comic book writing or just writing in general as a career? It's uh, it was kind of random, like for some like it was always in the back of my head. And I think like any anybody who reads comics has ideas for comics and like likes that romantic notion of like, Oh, if I could write a comic, it'd be like this, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, for me, it wasn't actually until I was in college. Like I was like a few, I, I can't remember what year of college. It must, might've been junior year. Uh, but, uh, I was taking a screenwriting class and I got really into screenwriting because I, I'd always like liked creative writing, but I had never, actually written like full stories or anything like that. And, and I was taking a few classes, like uh, I was taking a fiction class. Like, so I had, was being forced to write and kind of like, wasn't loving it, but was liking it. I, I, I did a lot of poetry, which I really enjoyed because it was a lot more in the moment, like versus like fiction writing. Like I could just be a little more impulsive. It reminded me of, of clearly writing songs as well. And I'd written a ton of songs, but uh after the screenwriting class, I was like very, very inspired. I actually wrote a screenplay and I was like, I'm going to be a screenwriter. This is awesome. And then I realized how shitty and inaccessible that world was and was very turned off, especially coming from like punk rock where I could do everything myself. And uh, right around that time, I read an article in Wizard about uh, about Image, actually, and how Image was all 
uh, submission driven. And I was like, oh, wait, if I wanted to make comics, I don't have to work for Marvel or DC. I can just find an artist online, pay them and make my own. And I, that was really freeing and really inspiring to me. And, and I put together like a pitch that took me like a year to do. And I was like convinced like, okay, cool. Like this book is going to come out on image cause it's a book. And of course it was rejected. And I was like, Oh shit, wait, there's no way to actually do this. And from there just kept making stuff. And, and for around that whole journey from like the very first day I like Googled like comic book artists to like five ghosts was around six to eight years. How do you stay motivated that at that point to just keep plugging forward? I just really like the fact that uh, I could actually make this on my own. Like, I didn't need anyone's permission. Like, and the stuff I was making, even though no one wanted it, like, I just got a really, like, visceral, weird happiness from writing something and someone drawing it. And, and that's still the reason why I work in comics. It's so fun to work with a whole bunch of different people and see them... With, again, without being a romantic nerd about it, but like bring stuff to life, like to get to write something down and have something draw from it. Like, as I said, pleases me in some weird way that I was not aware of. And I'm sure it's the same for like a filmmaker when when their script turns the film or they see their movie edited together. But the fact that you can do that so cheaply and so quickly is really inspiring to me. And the fact that, again, I get to see a lot of this stuff get drawn now. And because there were years I would, think about stuff I would love to do, but could never get out. And, uh, that for me is really the, the like fun part of comics and what keeps me excited about it. That knowing that what I commit to paper is actually going to be produced and come out and I'll be able to see it. And even if it's not published that I could see it is what drives me. Like it would be very hard for me to write stuff completely on spec, like never knowing if it's coming out. But if I know someone's at least going to draw the one page I'm writing that really just inspires me. Well, I, I am a huge art nerd, like a comic art nerd. So that's, I, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of people I like and fundamentally just while working on the project, there's stuff I just want to see them draw. And that's what keeps me <laughs> in the zone on that. Now you said you read a lot. Is there uh, something that you've read lately or, or has, has there at any point been something that you've read and gone, ah, oh, damn it. I wish I would have thought of that. Well, I, I've always liked Ellis, but I haven't read a lot of his stuff. And I've slowly figured out as an adult that every idea in comic books and every writer in comic books is just channeling Warren Ellis, <laughs> which is like you can trace everybody. And I, I just read uh, where well, I started reading Stormwatch because I'd, I'd read his authority and loved it, but I, I didn't know there was stuff before it. And Stormwatch is awesome. Like it, it's I mean, it's old. So like quote unquote old it's 90s so like you have to like look at it and be like this was fucking revolutionary in the 90s versus now like it's like yeah edgy superhero sci-fi stuff like whatever but uh on the comic front that's really riveted me and i've been like oh man like this is there's still so much you can do with superheroes and mainstream superheroes like that has not been mined and and that's exciting to me i feel like people are very over that genre but i think it's because a lot of people tend to just write like plotty nonsense and not think about what they actually want to say with the material. And, uh, I, I think when it's your job and when you have to do a lot of work, it is easy to just not phone it in, but just do the work and not think about it. And, but I think there's still so much within that framework that can be done. But, uh, 
then after years of thinking it looked cool in, in bookstores, I started reading uh, 1Q84 by Haruki Murakami, and I really, really dug that. I feel like that's gotten me back into novels in a long way. I, f I feel like I burnt out a little bit because I hadn't read anything I really liked. I went through this weird phase where I would just read, like, really difficult books to try to feel smart. <laughs> and, and that's certainly, like, especially when you're a writer, like, not how you want to spend your pleasure reading time. So I'm, I'm glad I found something that I can enjoy and not feel totally stupid reading. <laughs> so I'll probably be looking for another book along those lines. And I mean, like, it's funny because whatever you're reading finds its way of seeping into what you're working on in weird ways. And uh, what was I working on that I thought, oh, well, there, there's stuff with Broken World uh, that we have a cult and there's a lot of cult stuff in well, not a lot, but like one of the plots is about a weird cult in in one Q eight four, and I was like definitely inspired and channeled some of that. How do you keep from being too inspired, though? I'm a huge dick, and that's one of my sticking points. Like, I hate when I see work from anyone, and I can see what it's ripping on. So I always like self center or get afraid, and like would never. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything I've ever like deliberately. I well. I feel like for me, and maybe it's an egotistical thing, I don't know where I want it to be wholly my own thing. Like, I can never get too close. I mean, Black Market was really like a crazy love letter to Breaking Bad, and there was certainly a lot of elements from Breaking Bad in it, but it was also a constant exercise for me to be like, oh, well, I'm not making Breaking Bad. Like, what is in that story that I like that I can kind of translate into my own? I have to say with, with, with black market, it was that book that, um, I, I knew you from five ghosts and then it was like seeing that other, you know, anytime you see a writer, like almost a, another side of, of a writer is when you kind of like that, it peaks you and goes, Oh, okay. This guy knows what he's doing because <laughs> you know, a lot, I feel like in, especially in comic books, uh, you, you know, you kind of get pigeonholed like Warren Ellis writes Warren Ellis, you know, superheroes. <laughs> and that's pa past that is when he starts to kind of get weird or it doesn't work for him. Uh, like I said, sincerely, thank you. Cause I mean, it, it, it's weird when you do this stuff and like, it's happy or it's good when you can be happy with it. But I think especially with black market, I, you forget that, uh, you know, when I say you, I mean, writers, especially newer writers, like, it wasn't really well reviewed, which is fine. Like, and, and I get like some of the things people got hung up on, but I forget that it's not just those like 10 reviewers who read the book, <laughs> that there's a lot of people out there who potentially did. And, uh, that's why I like doing cons cons helps me get grounded in a sense that I remember that more than these 10 people who I see reviewing my stuff, read it. And it's nice to just meet people who are just like, Oh, I just like, like that. We don't have to deconstruct it. We don't have to like sit there and try to tell you what you did. Right. It's okay to just enjoy, <laughs> get some enjoyment. And, and that's the stuff that like reminds me why I do this. Like I, it, it definitely serves some part of me, but to know that people are reading the books you write and especially the stuff you just make up and getting enjoyment, like the same enjoyment I get from reading is like a weird fulfillment thing where it's like, oh, at least someone is like getting a function out of my work. Like someone's able to not think about their shitty day for... 10 minutes when they read an issue of a comic I wrote, which is 
<laughs> and, and that's really just all you do. And, it, and for me now, it is taking that a little further and just making sure that there's stuff I'm saying in my work that I think is important. That's not like didactic or preachy, but at least coming across thematically a little stronger than I think in the past. What's the best advice somebody's ever given you? Uh, well, in terms of writing, it's think about what you want to say and how to say it. And, and again, that's been my huge mantra for the last year or so. Like when I'm writing, just to like think about what you want to say beyond like just plotty BS. Like this will mean nothing to no one if there's not something deeper. And uh, in life, I don't even know. Like it, it just don't be unhappy because unless I, <laughs> I know that sounds really stupid, but I mean, my parents, thankfully, have always been very supportive, especially when I'm like, Hey, guess what? Like I'm quitting my like stable, cool profession, moving to New York and I'm just going to figure it out. I feel like I, they could have been like, like, yeah, that's a really bad idea, but they were just like, cool, go for it. Good luck. Don't move back in here. <laughs> at least, at least you're not staying in a band. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That's well, my, my twin was in a band for a long, long time and, and actually toured and did that lifestyle. And Again, they were always cool with that, but I, I, I weirdly ended up not liking that. I mean, there's a lot of weird parallels I find, especially with like freelance writing. But uh, I like that I can do my job at home and not have to go out and and tour and be left at the whims of a really critical younger audience. I feel most of the music I did, that's who was judging it, and it was really sad for me. <laughs> was fun like and i feel like a lot of the stuff i learned from that like hey like no one owes you anything like and doing creative stuff is expensive and time consuming and will not pan out all the time like just a lot of those sensibilities like made me not quit writing when i wasn't immediately successful <laughs> so and i feel like that's the the thing you kind of have to understand with this is it's not i think society in general has just become so used to I need it right now. It's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen in the next six to eight months or, you know, even sooner, just move on and, and go. Or the, the, the flip side to it as well, because I agree with that. And that that's the problem with a lot of people. And also if I spend time and money on something and think it's important, other people will. Right? And then when that disconnect happens, I know a lot of people who tried to break into comics and spent money on like one book or one pitch then immediately quit because they didn't become famous. It's like, yeah, no one owes you anything. No one gives a shit. Like if someone cares about something you do, like that is the greatest gift in the world because no one – you're not owed anything. And you have to like earn it in not a sense that you necessarily worked harder than everyone else, but you can never control like – if what you're doing is going to hit. And I, I feel like that's the thing that bums a lot of people out. And yeah, some of us get very lucky and get constant work, but like next year, no one could give a shit what I'm doing. And I, I understand that. <laughs> and which is why like, well, I can work. And while at least people are paying attention, I will be trying to do the best stuff I can, but it, it's never a guaranteed thing. And I feel like the minute you start thinking like you've made it and like people are just like, read whatever you do or like always love you is when you lose touch. And I, it, that never happens. You always have to be working. You always have to be trying. And quite simply, especially in comics now, there's a million people who want your job. Like, so if you stumble, someone else will take it. And 
I'm really happy to be in like a scene with a lot of creators who I like, who I support, and I'm happy when they succeed and like we don't like get on each other's uh, case about stuff. But there are people who want my job really, really bad and who probably think I don't deserve my job and who I'm bad at my job. So if I, again, get complacent, like they will swoop in so hard. And knowing that also makes me want to be better and like show like, again, not in an egotistical way, but that I am trying, that I am good at this and that I can validate it, especially still as a newer writer. I mean, I, I have some, some people like will get in like, and just do some work and think they've made it. But for me, I'm like, oh no, this is still the beginning of my career. Like, and I'm very fortunate that I've gotten a lot of work, but I want to make sure I stick around for a while and I'm always doing stuff that I'm proud of. So I, I just remember though, like if you look at guys like Remender and Fraction and Brubaker and, and like Kelly Sue DeConnick and they have paid their dues in a really intense way and have been working hard for five years to be able to get to where they are and to expect that right now is like embarrassing. Like I, I know some, some of my peers who are bummed out why their books don't sell like theirs. It's like, are you fucking crazy? Like those people who were, have done so much work and, and someone like Greg, Greg Rucka, who is like established himself as a powerhouse. It's not overnight. He put out a huge volume of amazing work and now can be who he is. So that's a big thing. I mean, that's really the most important thing I think I know about life is just don't feel owed anything because, like, you don't deserve it. Let's be honest. And if you do, you'll earn it and people will get there. So, and that's my like posy, feel good, like work hard. <laughs> How do you know when your idea is strong enough to put down in paper and let the world know that it's there? I think that is the hardest part about writing because you have to get beyond what's just important to you. And some people look at that as like trying to think commercially or think that's bullshit. But if you are writing anything you intend to sell and intend to sell to a large group of people, like you kind of have to make sure it means something or is palatable. And, and I think that's the appeal of work for hire because you kind of get that audience already uh, you don't have to prove it, but uh, but honestly, you, you never do. And I, I feel like you have to be very realistic with yourself, especially when you're coming up with new books. Like, is this just something I think is fun or something I think is cool? Or is this actually something that has bigger appeal? And and that is like the trickiest thing in the world because you can never know. And, and it's the case of where like publisher X passes on something and then publisher Y does it to critical acclaim uh, or vice versa. And I mean, I, I think for any writer who has had even a little bit of success, realizing something that they're developing is not good is really pivotal, but also really heartbreaking <laughs> because uh, there's definitely stuff I've tried to get off the ground uh, <clears throat> even recently where I had to take a minute and be like, I don't care about this as much as I should, or this is not working. And, and moving away from that is always difficult, but I think a really big necessity, especially in, in modern comics. But uh, there's a uh, stuff I was reading that I, a, a book I really, really enjoy called The Anatomy of Story, which is pretty much my, my creative Bible and my writing Bible. Uh, the uh, writer is a guy named John Truby, who's a screenwriting consultant. And what he says, which is so true, is like, write, always write something that you think will change your life. Because chances are, if it will change your life, 
it will change other people's lives. And if it doesn't, at least you fucking changed your life or did something that meant something to you. And I think that's, again, a little romantic, but just a, a gauge of being like, oh, well, I want to write a story about two guys fighting where one guy's going to destroy the world. Like, okay, like, that story exists a lot. And if you don't have some way to say something or or something to do, like, it's fine, like, write that story, but don't be surprised when people will just be like, meh, it's another thing like that. What is your biggest challenge working as a writer? Uh, I feel like convincing people that it's worth their time, which is always the difficult part because I understand, like, what I love and what I think is great work may not be great work. And, and thankfully, I'm not hung up on that, and I don't think you can be, but just getting over that and the fear that like, will people like this or will this sell or will I stay relevant? I mean, that is by and far the hardest part. And will I have work in six months is the hardest part <laughs> as well. But uh, once that stuff is taken care of and I know it's coming, then it's just like, okay, let this be the best it is. But the, the fear is still, I, I feel like I'm still new enough and, and not like I, I feel like I have a lot of people like who are unsure like they're like oh this this is cool work but I don't know if I love it or I'll read anything this guy does and that's when I want to try to push for the next like two years is just do a lot of good work and, and kind of get the people off the fence and show like oh I'm not just someone who like came in and did comics for two years I'm someone who stayed and someone who did something they care about. And I mean, you, you can't make that happen, but I will be doing everything I can on my end to uh, keep that up. And also just that my, my own stuff is interesting. Like that, it, I, I feel like I've done a good amount of creator-owned work and I have a shit ton more than I'm going to be doing. And I, I don't know, I just hope people understand that that stuff is not accidental and it takes a long time and it's really risky for everyone involved, so... It's not just stuff doing for jollies. It's stuff I actually like care about and, and stories that I want to tell. What's the last thing that you do at the end of the day? What gets you to that, that cutoff point? For me, it's honestly finishing because <laughs> I'm obsessive about even if it's like not totally fleshed out or, or totally done, like I need all, all of my script to be done. I have a very hard time walking away from a scene and, and I know people who have given very good advice that you shouldn't do that, the script needs to be done. Like, I can't sit around. I, I will literally lose sleep and have to go back and work if I do not do the whole thing I set out to do. And that is for me, I mean, maybe we'll change one day if I have other priorities and can't do that. But uh, again, typically comic scripts are just, there should be 22 pages worth of stuff in my script or I will not stop working on it, which is why I also wait until I'm like, kind of ready to go and why I say I only work on one thing a day because I want to get as much of it done as humanly possible. Because for me, like, I, I just will feel weird if it's not. I, I could sit here and talk to you about it this all day long, really. This <laughs> well, is... Apparently I can too. I'm sorry. I didn't know my answers would be so long. No, but no. I, I mean, and that's the thing I love about doing this. When you go through and you can listen to all of these different uh, people's takes on how they, they're productive and, and stay productive and, and, you know, being able to pull from different people's advices, you know, from from just different people's stories of how they stay productive. And that's that's the one thing I, I, I love about doing this podcast is just, you know. Yeah, I definitely need to go back and listen to a lot because it's, it's something that always interests me, too. And even just talking about it, I'm like, oh, I'm actually interested to hear what other people have said. Listen to the Jason Latour one. It's really fun. <laughs> 
Well, it's funny because I can, I can never imagine, like, writing is hard enough to, like, get in the zone and stay inspired. Drawing must be hell because it's, like, there's a physical labor to that as well. And, and you know, some days when you're just not feeling it, at least writing, you can go back and change your words. But art, it's like, well, I turned that page in. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. When you were talking about writer's block earlier, um, I don't think artists really get artist block. It's just more of, like, not motivation. <laughs> Yeah, you know. well, it, and, and that's the that's why I've really learned about writing, which, not to shit on anyone who, who talks about writer's block, but I, I think really if you just think of it as you just don't know how to solve the problems that are in front of you. Like, yeah. And that's the, and I mean, the, the only form of writer's block I think I can actually get behind is if you don't have an idea that you want to talk about. But for me, like, thankfully, like, I feel like that's why we have like genre and things like that. Like to even be like, okay, well let me do a crime story. You get the like framework of what that should be. And then you worry about the story you want to tell in that. And, and that's always inspiring to me. I, that's why I, I love genre fiction. And I think that genre is really inspiring and useful that it gives you a framework for your ideas right there. And because I am a structure nerd and like a, a story mechanics nerd, I feel like someone could just be like, write a story about a, dog a night and a hula hoop and i could be like okay and, and do something at this point <laughs> all right man uh where can people find you on the internet uh so i've come to realize now that my twitter is actually very confusing and everyone's like why isn't it just your name but it's uh atlas incognita which is a-t-l-a-s-i-n-c-o-g-n-i-t-a uh that is my twitter handle and my website address and i Twitter, I use a lot and really promote stuff. My website, I'm trying to be better with and, and update a lot, but uh, I do fall off. And also, uh, I keep a Tumblr where I will put a lot of stuff, like previews for my own stuff and uh, updates on what I'm working on, which is fjbarb.tumblr.com. So F-J-B-A-R-B. Yeah, that's mainly what I, <laughs> where I just talk about myself a lot on the internet. And, uh, that's that's the point of social media. It's just yeah, about well, like, the one thing that I try to do as much as humanly possible is actually share previews of what I'm working about. Because to talk about comic projects that I'm working on is useless when I can just show them to people. So yeah. uh, I do tweet a lot of like pages and like previews and etc. But no, no, for sure. Thank you so much for for having me. It was a lot of fun. Awesome, man. Thank you. Make sure you follow Frank on Twitter. He's at atlas incognita yeah look it up and pick up broken world trust me i loved it it's a great read and if you're not reading five ghosts well you got a problem you need to fix so go over to imagecomics.com and check out some preview pages and go pick up the trade paperbacks they're pretty cheap don't forget to follow eGeek play on all of the social media sites facebook twitter instagram and now snapchat we're just eGeek play on all those platforms and make sure you subscribe to this podcast we've got a lot of great guests coming up and you know we've got a bunch of other podcasts that you might like so please make sure you go check those out go over to eGeekplay.com for all of the information and uh, we'll talk to you next time.